Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. The title of this sermon is, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Here is the first half of this two-part teaching. So as you talked a little bit uh, about the things that we've been going over, this is the second prayer uh, of Scripture uh, in the book of Ephesians. And and one of the things that we see is that... that um, that, that Paul is going to go into a doxology. Doxology is simply this. It's just simply an expression to praise God. Okay? That's all it is. So when you hear somebody say, oh, this is a doxology, all Paul is doing is praising God. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in theological terms and things that we think that we should know. And the main thing is, it's like we talked about the attributes this past week on Wednesday. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. Right, God stands outside of time, so you can no- learn the words omniscient and omni, uh, omnipotent and those words, but is that going to help you? It, it's better for you to know that he's all-knowing. It's better for you to know that he's all-powerful. Those are the things that are important. Those attributes are important. And Paul is going to go into this doxology of prayer, uh, and I think it's important for us to kind of break the prayer down at this point. Uh, we, we saw in as a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm really glad we did this. I was going to try to do this all in one teaching, verses 14 through 21. And I just, I, I always felt like it was rushed. And, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take my time through it, and let's go through it bit by bit, and I'm glad we did. Um, and and, and uh, we see here in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Right? So Paul begins to, to begin the prayer as he uh, gives uh, the Father adoration. And he talks about the whole family in heaven and on earth. But he goes into the main petition of the prayer in verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. That is the main petition of the prayer. Okay, that's what Paul is asking. He's like, hey, I, the, we, we want you to be strengthened by the riches of his glory, by the Holy Spirit. Right? But what is the result of the prayer? The result of the prayer is what we went over last week. 
the result of the prayers in verses 17 through 19. So he's praying this, and this is the result that he wants. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. And then he ends with the doxology. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, according to the power that, that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see the structure of the prayer, the context of the prayer. Paul actually sandwiches in two important statements and then he has the petition of the prayer and what he's wanting for the result of the prayer. And what Paul is teaching us throughout this prayer is that prayer centers on God, not you. A lot of times when we pray, it's centered on your request and your needs. When we come to him, we come to him in confidence to pray because we come to him and this is why you have to know the attributes of God. I am going to harp on this over the next couple of weeks because the thing that's going to stabilize your relationship with Christ is knowing his attributes. You must know them. You must know who God is. You must know that he's all powerful, that God is everywhere, that he's all knowing, that God is eternal. You must know about God's goodness and His grace, His holiness, His justice, His love, His mercy, that He's sovereign. Those are all part of His attributes, along with many others. And so when you're going through a tough time, or you're seeing the world and the state it's in, I serve a just God. It's not my job to judge, but God will. And that's how I need to pray. And serve a God who's good. And the thing that you're asking for is good because it comes from the Word of God. I'm asking for healing. I serve a God who's, who's sovereign, who's all-powerful, who can heal. You're going to the one person who can. It's not your doctor. I know a lot of people are freaking out over that. The reality of it is, is he is the ultimate physician and he puts things in place, but we don't look at it in that capacity because we take too much of a worldview and not a, a biblical worldview. He's the ultimate physician. He's the one who gives the doctor's wisdoms. He's the one who gives direction. It's all because of God. And knowing his attributes is important when you pray. It's also important when you're going through things. If you're struggling in, 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 in sin, you serve a God who's merciful, who can forgive. Do you understand that? You serve a God who is merciful. You serve a God who has grace. That's part of his attribute. Serve a God who loves you. A God who stands outside of time, who's eternal. But you also have his son who sits at the right hand of the Father. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34 who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is he even at the right hand of God who also makes intercessions for us? Jesus is making intercessions for you. But I love the way that Paul starts. Paul starts with adoration in the prayer. He starts with adoration in the prayer. Adoration is simply giving God glory. You're actually 
adoring God. It's important for you to understand that as, as Paul begins that prayer, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then he goes on in verse 20 as he sandwiches it into the doxology. He's talking about the power and the attributes of God within the prayer. He's actually giving the attributes of God within the prayer. That He is eternal. That it is forever. Throughout all generations. That He is all-powerful. He's praying God's attributes. Something that we can learn from. We talked about it this past week as we were in the book. And, and uh, the shepherd looks at Psalm 23. We talked about that. The Lord is. Who is the Lord? Can you answer that? Who is the Lord that you're trusting? Is He eternal? Is He just? Is He sovereign? Is He good? Is He grace? Is He merciful? Is He all-knowing, all-powerful? He stands outside of time. Is He righteous? That's who the Lord is. And if you can't trust that, that's why you struggle in your faith. David says it very simply, the Lord is. And I don't know why, when, I, when we were studying this, every time I looked at it, I kept going, well, who is the Lord? What does David say next in that Psalm 23, in verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd. It has to be personal. That's why it's a personal relationship with Christ. You have to spend time with Him. You don't have to. He wants you to. But I can tell you, you will not grow if you don't open your word. You will not grow if you don't spend time in prayer. You will not grow if you stop coming to church and you don't have fellowship. You start drifting. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He's like, go ahead. You can skip it. Not a problem. You need to know who the Lord is. Because when you're in that deep, dark valley... It's the attributes of God that will pull you out of it. And some of y'all have been in some very dark valleys, and yet you're here. You're here. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. Some of you are in a deep valley right now. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God is good. God hears your prayers because He stands outside of time. You're going to find out more about this as we get into this. There's a great uh, verse in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13, that talks about adoration. This is how we should be praying. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 13, Yours, O Lord, is greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in, in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Your kingdom, O Lord, you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honors, honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Do you need to work on your prayer life? Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Revelation 4, 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. 
In Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And finally in Psalm 25.8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in the way. We can simply pray the verses. You can, we're going to end the, today in verse Chronicles 29, 10, 13. That's how we're going to finish in prayer. You can simply pray that. There's another way that you can adore God. That's through worship, hymns, songs. Not much on Caleb. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. Okay? I mean, there's some good stuff on there, but there, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of feel-good, me-centric, not God-centered songs. You go back to some of the old hymns of How Great Thou Art. I love the song The Great I Am because, it, it, man, that's a beautiful song. And, and it gives adoration to God. You need to find those songs that do that, that, that bring adoration to God, not the, not the singer. Same thing happened with Christian hip-hop. A lot of y'all don't know nothing about that. But Christian hip-hop became the same thing. It, it, when it first got started, it was nothing but God-centered music. And it eventually it became about the person and the sinner and more about the sin than the Savior. And that's the same thing that's transpiring in a lot of the, the worship today. And, and so it happens. But you, you can put music on. You can adore Him through music. We can also use the name of God when we pray. We can use the name of God when we pray. Just think about that prayer we just read. How many times the Lord's name was used. The name of, of God, Emmanuel, God with us, light of the world, bread of life, Lamb of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, good shepherd, redeemer, I am, the Father, the Savior, Abba, Father, Adonai, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the anointed one, the living God, the, the God of the Most High, the God who sees, Emmanuel, El Shaddai, our Creator, El Roy, God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our Provider, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our Healer, the Lord is Peace, the Logos, the Word, the Messiah, Yahweh. That's what you pray. Use His name. Give adoration. Call out His name. That's what the whole thing is. It's like when we think about this is when, when the disciples were asking, they didn't ask anything else, but they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Think about that. They were with Christ for three years. They didn't ask about the Mount and Transfiguration. Right? I would have had a lot of questions. Like, I don't understand what happened. Right? Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't ask about healing. Or why is there so many demonic spirits right now, Lord? Y'all need to wake up to that. When Jesus came, there was a lot of demonic activity. And it's happening all over again. But they asked a simple question. Teach us how to pray. Why? Because they saw his prayer life. Do people see your prayer life and go, man, I need you to pray. Because I know that you're on your knees. Or you're, you're praying. You're consistently like, I am, I'm in this. I'm in the battle of prayer. Like, I'm going to pray. But they saw Jesus because Jesus would take off. Even after doing a whole day of ministry, of healing and teaching and miracles. And he would get up early in the morning. 
And he would be in a desolate place and they would see him praying. That's how important his prayer life was. And that's what the disciples ask. Teach me how to pray. So how important is prayer in your life? I would dare say for most Christians, not. And I would dare say that most Christians, when they pray, it's not God-centered. It's me-centered. So do we actually do the, the acronym? They gave us an acronym to help us pray, man. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication's the last thing. That's the things that, that you need prayer for. He's like, adoration. Do you actually use the names? Do you talk about the attributes? Do you give thanksgiving or confession, right? Do you actually confess your sins? I've already been forgiven of all my sins. Nah, you've been sinning today, bro. You get thanksgiving. And I've told y'all there's a lot of things to be thankful for. You go, I don't know any. You got air conditioning. There's one. You're breathing. There's two. Somebody brought you tacos this morning. There's three. On a bonus, Thanksgiving, donuts, right? I mean, I mean, honestly, do we give thanks? Like, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Thank you for allowing me to, to, to be breathing today, to be with my family today. I know it's stressful, but give thanks for it. Would you rather not be here on earth? Because I, I want to be here as long as I can be here doing the work of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd rather be in heaven. I think we all would. But we want to be serving God as long as we can to our last breath. But these disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what did Jesus tell them? You all know the verse very well. Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. Therefore, do not be like them, for your fathers know the thing that you need before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then here's the beauty of this. For your, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus is giving a doxology to the Father. Your kingdom reigns forever because, God, you are eternal. Your kingdom is all-powerful. It's all right there in Scripture. If Jesus gives adoration to God, should you? It makes you think twice about rushing into your prayer. So what is the purpose of prayer? It isn't just for the answer. <laughs> Did you get that? It's not just for the answer. The purpose of prayer is to see God get, be glorified. The purpose of prayer is that we should actually give praise before the prayer is answered. Because you're confident. In Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He's like, hey, I'm in trouble, but you're going to glorify me. You're going to save me. You're going to deliver me. Because he knows that it's God alone who answers prayers. And David was always given praise and thanksgiving. And he knew. And I promise we'll get into this. This is now as we look at the first point, God alone answers prayer. But we'll move through this pretty fast here. I wanted to make sure you understood what we were looking at over these last few weeks of that scripture. To understand what the petition of the scripture was, was to strengthen you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he says, and this is a wonderful verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly 
abundantly above all that we ask according to the power that works in us. God is able to answer the biggest prayer. Again, we we look at the attributes of God and His character and we understand that He has power over creation. We understand that that we serve a God whose power is perfect. In our finite minds, sometimes we can't figure out, like, how is this even going to work? How is God going to even save my marriage at this point? I can tell you, in my little finite mind, I couldn't figure it out. But God knew, because God stood outside of time. Jeremiah prays in Jeremiah 32, 17, and he says, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And Jeremiah is praying because he's seeing the craziness that's happening as, as they're being pushed into captivity. And, you know, he's praying with confidence still. We should be, a, be uh, Christians that pray with confidence. We don't have to understand, but we just have to trust the person who answers the prayer. God, who's all-powerful and can do the prayer. That's who we trust. That's where our confidence lies. And then God responds back to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27. He says, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's a rhetorical question. Do not answer it. If you know my attributes, there's nothing too hard for me. Right? Jeremiah is watching Nebuchadnezzar destroy Jerusalem and set it on fire and burn it. And he's going, is there anything too hard for me? You have no idea what's coming for the nation of Israel. I do. Because there's nothing too hard for me. Jeremiah knew as God gave him that rhetorical question. It's a reminder that there is nothing too hard for God. In Luke chapter 1 verses 34 through 37. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this now with the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for with God, nothing will be possible. Nothing will be possible. Nothing's too hard for me. Nothing's impossible for me. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verses 24 through 27, And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it um, it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of god for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god and those who heard it said who then can be saved but he said these things which are impossible with men are possible with god why because we serve an all-powerful god who holds everything and everything's done in his perfect timing And why? Because God is able. That's what we're learning in this scripture is that God is able. It's His power that works infinitely. And that's who we're supposed to trust. We're supposed to trust the God who's able. See, when we try to do things in men's thought, is we try to do things with good intentions. We try to plan things, and guess what? We fail. Not God. Not my God. My God is able. My God is able. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it says, Now, brethren, I commend you to go and, uh, to the, the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, which, 
which is able to build you up. Why? Because God is able to build you up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. I, if, if we were studying this in school of ministry, I would have you highlight how many times you see the word all. Because my God is able to do all the grace that will bound. Not some grace. All sufficiency in all things. That's a beautiful piece of scripture. Because God is able. In Jude chapter 1 verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with an exceeding joy. Why? Why when you read that you're going. But I stumbled this morning. I got upset this morning, Lord. It's not on you. It's on God. God is able to keep you faultless. Why? Because you're covered by the blood of Christ. Your past, your present, your future sins have been forgiven. It doesn't mean that you don't need to confess them and repent. You do need to do that. But it's God who's able to keep you faultless because of what His Son did on the cross. The sinless Jesus. Truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man, sinless. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 